Well, it's time now for Down in the Valley with Lloyd Carter, introduced by that long version of Cheryl Crow's song. So, hi Lloyd, how you doing? Good, Vic. How are you? Pretty good. Well, welcome everybody. You're listening to Down in the Valley, the monthly show that focuses on water and ag issues, and we're heading into the longest, hottest, driest summer in Southern California history. This is the lowest rainfall record uh, in recorded history for Los Angeles and much of the southern half of the state, and as the temperature heats up, so do the water wars in California. It looks like we're getting ready for another bruising battle, North State versus South State over the Purple Canal the fate of the Bay Delta Estuary, and uh, a number of other water issues in California. Let's start with something that was in the news this week in the Bay Area. I don't know if the Fresno Bee ran this article or not, but it was uh, significant news in the Bay Area. The Chronicle had a big story on it. Uh, and what we're talking about is chemicals in treated wastewater that are flowing into San Francisco Bay. Um, chemicals suspected of interfering with hormones, both human hormones and wildlife hormones that are leached out of consumer products and end up in San Francisco Bay. Um, despite the fact that they uh, have been processed through sewage treatment plants that are designed to strip bacteria, sediments, and metals from wastewater. A report compiled by the Environmental Working Group with the assistance of the East Bay Municipal Utility District um, discovered that tests showed that three types of common chemicals thought to interfere with hormonal systems are turning up in treated wastewater that's entering San Francisco Bay. Those are phthalates and visphenol-A, which are common plastic additives, um, they're used to soften plastics. And triclosan, which is the active ingredient in many antibacterial soaps, toothpaste, dish detergents, and even anti-mildew bath mats and odor-eating shoe insoles. The study uh, adds to research showing that many compounds used in everyday life, from steroids given to cattle, to estrogen and birth control pills, to chemotherapy drugs administered in hospitals, to antidepressants and tranquilizers are escaping wastewater treatment systems and getting into waterways. And of course the reaction to this new study by industry officials were that there's nothing to worry about. For example, Marion Stanley, Senior Director of the American Chemistry Council said that the levels of contaminants found in this treated sewage doesn't meet any environmental criteria for harm. She calls the study a non-event. Now the Environmental Working Group in the East Bay uh, Municipal Utility District tested sewage samples from 16 different pipes, including two homes, a coin-operated laundry, a diaper service, a hospital, and some manufacturing plants. They found at least one of the three compounds in 15 of those samples. Bill Walker of the Environmental Working Group, the West Coast president of EWG, says we know what's going in, we know at least some of it is going out, and we know that's not good. However, Steve Hentich, he's the uh, American Plastic Council's 
director of the polycarbonate business unit, said uh, again contended that these chemicals appear in such tiny amounts that they're harmless. Uh, now, we have also have a quote from a spokeswoman for the California Department of Public Health. She admits that they don't have sufficient information to know if those chemicals are harmful or not. Uh, and she admits that, quite frankly, most wastewater treatment plants aren't built to remove these types of compounds from treated water. Ben Horenstein who's the Environmental Services Director for East Bay Municipal Utility District, admits that San Francisco Bay is, quote, impaired. He says, from a national policy perspective, from a state policy perspective, let's really think about what we're doing to our environment and putting down the drain. It doesn't take a lot to potentially interfere and cause endocrine-disrupting events in an aquatic environment. And speaking of antidepressants, which this article mentions, I came across another, another article about Prozac getting into uh, American rivers. And there is an article in the Defenders of Wildlife magazine about new studies on uh, the East Coast, which says that Prozac may actually be depressing wild mussel populations in North American rivers. A new study shows that exposure to the antidepressant disrupts the mollusk's reproductive cycles, increasing their risk of extinction. In one of the first studies to examine the antidepressants on mussels, scientists found that acute exposure to high concentrations of Prozac in a lab caused female mollusks to release larvae before they were able to survive on their own. Like many prescription drugs, Fluoxetine, the active ingredient in Prozac, ends up in streams and rivers because sewage treatment facilities lack the capability to remove the drugs from the wastewater. Rebecca Heltsley, a biologist at Hollings Marine Laboratory in Charleston, South Carolina, said that the results from the study were quite alarming. It's a big concern because freshwater mussels are already such an imperiled group. About 70% of the nearly 200 native North American mussel species are extinct, endangered, or declining. Ironically, in some cases, crowded out by invasive species such as zebra mussels, and also habitat, lo habitat loss and uh, pollutants, other pollutants in the rivers are also impacting mussel populations. Uh, while it seems like a relatively insignificant little creature, Freshwater mussels play a key role in the ecology of rivers and streams by filtering large volumes of water every day. In doing so, they remove contaminants and excessive nutrients from water and serve as an early warning sign of water quality problems. They are also an important source of food for otters and fish. So in addition to uh, poisoning much of our wildlife, it appears that we're also tranquilizing them. Okay, let's turn to California issues. Uh, it appears as if Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger has become a full-fledged member of the Hydraulic Brotherhood. He's out touting two new dams for California as the way to solve our chronic water shortage problems. Uh, his director of the Department of Water Resources, Lester Snow, 
appeared before the legislature this week and said the governor would like to place a bond measure of at least $4 billion on next year's ballot, even though the legislature and Schwarzenegger have yet to begin spending the $5.4 billion from a water bond issue that we voters passed last November. Lester Snow told the legislature that we need more money to begin working on conveyance facilities in the Bay Delta, and most folks think that the word conveyance now is code for the hated peripheral canal. For those of you who aren't um, familiar with the history of the Bay Delta system, back in 1982, 25 years ago, Southern California interest and big agricultural interest on the west side of the San Joaquin Valley pushed for a canal system to take water from the Sacramento River north of the Delta and ferry that water in a canal or completely around the Delta and deliver it to Southern California. Uh, there was a bitter election and ultimately the voters rejected the peripheral canal measure by a 62 to 38 percent margin. That was a statewide vote. However, Northern California voted 90 percent against a peripheral canal. Northern California newspapers said that the plan would suck dry the Sacramento River to sprinkle lawns on new subdivisions in Los Angeles. But apparently the governor, uh, in league with the Farm Bureau, and Metropolitan Water District and Southern California Development Interests thinks that we should build two dams. Uh, and by the way, one of those dams would be in the Sacramento Valley at a, the so-called sites location. And the other dam is one that I've talked about many times, the proposed Temperance Flat Dam on the San Joaquin River, which would just be six miles upstream from Friant Dam on the San Joaquin River. Now there's a feasibility study that's underway by the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation to see whether or not the Temperance Flat Dam is actually economically feasible. Uh, critics of the dam, including most of the environmental community, have said that the water produced by a Temperance Flat Dam would be far too expensive to justify the multi-billion dollar cost of building a dam and of course any dam on the San Joaquin River would probably be 10 to 20 to as long as 25 years away from completion. However, the fact that the feasibility study on the dam is not yet done has not slowed down the governor who now sees himself as the savior of California's ever-expanding growth and some of you may have read in the papers this week that they're now predicting that by the year 2050, there will be 60 million people in California, and if we're going to have this gigantic desert civilization, at least in the southern half of the state, we need to build and store more dams, I mean, I'm sorry, build more dams and store more water to meet the needs of all the hordes of new people that are coming to California. Of course, the fly in that ointment is that in the last drought, California's 1,400 dams, which is what we already have, all sat empty, and uh, storage facilities above ground don't do you much good if you're in an extended drought. 
The other problem with the temperance flat site is that in many years it won't capture any new water. All of the San Joaquin River is already consumed, um, and it will only create about 180,000 acre feet of what they call new water. And so that uh, at the co the cost of conservation is so much cheaper than building more dams, which causes, of course, more destruction to the river. But the um, uh, governor has cast his fate with the proponents of dams, which are by and large the agriculture industry is supports dams. And, uh, of course, we have a Modesto uh, state legislator, Dave Cogdell of Modesto, I'm sorry, state senator Dave Cogdell, who's pushing the $4 billion bond measure in the legislature. Now, there is significant democratic opposition in the legislature to the uh, proposal by the governor and Lester Snow. Uh, Don Parada, who's the Senate, uh, President Pro Tem of the State Senate, uh, says that, uh, quote, we do not want to see some early implementation and everybody go home and think we've solved the water problem in California because we have not. We need additional long-term investment. Now, Parada's position is that it's much cheaper to uh, conserve water through conservation and other measures rather than um, build giant dams. The other hot-button issue, of course, will be the Purple Canal, as I say. Uh, Davis, California Assemblywoman Lois Woke, uh, whose district includes the North Delta, said any talk of a peripheral canal is premature. She says, quote, the Delta is in terrible crisis. The people of California have been very generous with bond money. Neither the peripheral canal nor any dam could be built for the next 10 to 15 years, and we have immediate needs. Now, one good thing that uh, Governor Schwarzenegger has done is he appointed a blue ribbon commission to find ways to improve the Delta as both habitat and water source and the head of that Blue Ribbon Commission is uh, former Sacramento Assemblyman Phil Eisenberg, who ironically helped lead the fight against the peripheral canal measure back in 1982. So we will keep you posted. Uh, the Delta Vision panel, headed by Eisenberg, is set to release its findings early in October. Uh, and of course, but that hasn't bothered the governor. He apparently doesn't want to wait to what his own commission has to say, nor does he want to wait on the feasibility study of Temperance Flat. He's out there already promoting. And he told an audience in Bakersfield recently, quote, as governor, you have to think 20, 30 years ahead. I want to make sure that I can honestly stand in front of you and say your farmers will have enough water 20 to 30 years from now so that you can continue farming and to create all this great agricultural stuff. That was the governor's word. We need to build more dams so you can create all this great agricultural stuff. So I will keep you posted on that one. Uh, I want to turn a little bit to Interior Department politics. And of course, the Department of Interior oversees the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation, which is the large federal agency that supplies water in 17 western states. They are the single largest wholesaler of water in America and the single largest user of energy, electricity I should say, 
And uh, under the Bush administration, people uh, that were former lobbyists often end up in high positions and uh, then return to lucrative jobs in the private sector again once they've done their governor government service. Now, the most, uh, most recent example of that is Mark Limbaugh, who, by the way, is a distant cousin of uh, radio host Rush Limbaugh. Mark Limbaugh was the Interior Department's Assistant Secretary for Water and Science. He left that uh, job yesterday to join a Washington, D.C. lobbying firm called the Ferguson Group, that advocates for state and local water authorities before Interior. So the people that he worked with the last few years, he's now going to lobby on behalf of his clients. The irony here is that Limbaugh uh, had been named by Secretary of Interior Dirk Kempthorne to conduct a Conduct Accountability Board at Interior because there have been lots of questions about ethics at the Department of Interior in the wake of the Jack Abramoff scandal. Ethics and interior have been an issue for some time. Of course, the Department of Interior regulates Indian casinos, and uh, interior thus became the focus of the Abraham, Abramoff investigation, who was a lobbyist now in prison for bribing members of Congress on Indian casino matters. Uh, in addition, J. Stephen Griles, who was a former deputy secretary at the Department of Interior, got 10 months in prison last month for lying to a Senate committee about his relationship with Abramoff. In addition, Deputy Assistant Secretary Julie McDonald resigned recently after an Interior Inspector General report found she had released non-public information and altered scientific reports involved with the Endangered Species Act. Uh, Doug Dominek, an interior aide, reportedly has also been linked to Abramoff and a former president of the Council of Republicans for Environmental Advocacy, Italia Federici, has also been linked to Abraham, Abramoff. Uh, in a memo that the Secretary of Interior, Dirk Kempthorne, who, by the way, used to be a public relations man, for FMC Corporation, which is involved in mining pollution in Idaho. That was Kemp Thorne's former job as a, as a PR guy for a mining firm that's in trouble uh, over uh, selenium pollution of streams in southeast Idaho. Kemp Thorne came in there and he laid out a 10-point plan to make the Interior Department, quote, a model, a model of an ethical workplace and he said that he was going to hire more ethics lawyer and stiffen penalties for uh, misbehavior by interior officials, including misuse of government computers. Now, Mark Limbaugh's departure comes on the heels of his deputy, Jason Peltier's resignation. Jason Peltier left the department in late June to join the Westlands Water District in California, Actually, the Westlands Water District is right here in Fresno County. And, of course, uh, Peltier's former job before he went to the Department of Interior a few years ago was the chief lobbyist for the Central Valley Project Contractors Association, of which the Westlands was the biggest member. Uh, 
Peltier will now become the chief deputy general manager of Westlands. Westlands. Democrats in Congress have also raised concern about Peltier and um, in a June 28th letter to Interior Secretary Dirk Kempthorne, Congressman George Miller and Congressman Nick Rahal of West Virginia have asked for documentation behind Peltier's move. The Westlands also hired Susan Ramos, who formerly was a deputy in the Sacramento office of the Bureau of Reclamation, and whether or not the conflicts that have been raised as a result of Westlands hiring these people. Uh, the Ferguson Group uh, lobbies the Department of Interior frequently. Last year they had revenues of in excess of $10 million. Okay, now I want to turn to another little ethics issue in the White House. The uh, Santa Rosa Press Democrat reported this week that Vice President Dick Cheney may have been involved with the massive fish kill of Chinook salmon in the Klamath River Basin in the fall of 2002. If you'll remember, there was a battle there between fishing interests and Klamath River Basin farmers over a... Uh, too small of a supply of water and how it was going to be split up. The Washington Post reported recently that Dick Cheney engineered the coup in which a great deal of water was delivered to the farmers, uh, which of course uh, cut the flow in the river and led to the, the massive fish kill. The Post reported that shortly after taking office in 2001, Cheney recognized that they had to keep Republican farmers in Oregon in the fold, uh, and significantly, Bush and uh, Cheney had lost the state of Oregon by less than one-half of one percent in the 2000 presidential election. Federal biologists had determined that Klamath fish needed more water in 2002, and Cheney secured a National Academy of Sciences report overruling that finding. Uh, former Secretary of Interior Gail Norton then flew out to Oregon to open up the gates which uh, sent water to the farmers and of course that was good publicity in the farming community in Oregon as far as the Bush White House was concerned. Last year a federal judge prohibited the federal government from diverting Klamath water for agricultural use whenever water levels dropped beneath a certain point. At the same time, fishermen were hit with the most restrictive salmon season on record for Oregon and California last year, and the commercial catch was only about 12% of a typical year. Uh, now, to bring us up to, to July of 2007, the federal government has finished a plan to restore flagging populations of coho salmon in the Klamath River calling bypassing barriers and completing restoration of its main tributary top priorities. The National Marine Fisheries Service plan is based largely on a massive plan developed in 2002 by the California Department of Fish and Game. Now I hope you all catch the irony here. One of the main damages to the salmon fishery was the shenanigans that Cheney engineered back in 2002. And so here we are five years later and the Bush administration has come up with a plan 
to restore the declining populations of salmon that they had much to do with damaging in the first place five years ago. Um, the plan calls for incentives for private landowners and water users to help restore the threatened fish's access to tributaries and to help boost flows to the Klamath. Fish cannot reach spawning grounds above the lowermost of several dams, and diseases are especially rampant in juvenile salmon. We shall see how that will go. Which, by the way, uh, on Wednesday, the San Francisco had a San Francisco Chronicle had an editorial. I'd like to quote from that a little bit. Quote, when precious Klamath River water was steered to farmers in 2002, it was a convincing display of White House political muscle. Farmers in southern Oregon vote, and salmon who died by the thousands don't. What's new in this tale of water manipulation is that Vice President Dick Cheney may have pulled the levers, according to a Washington Post profile, of his anti-environmental record. The report has led 36 Democratic House members in Oregon and California to call for a hearing. However, the Chronicle goes on to say, demonizing Cheney for what ails the Klamath isn't enough. It's time that this powerful posse of elected leaders whose, whose party now rules Congress do more. The delegation should get together behind a plan that will assure steady water flows needed by salmon to survive. One option is removing the four dams near the Oregon border. These dams produce little electricity or downstream flood protection. Their chief accomplishment is to barricade salmon from spawning beds, which now lie under tons of silt. Taking out the dams and restoring the river would be a huge task, but one answer to restoring salmon runs. The hearing could underline this directive because the federal licensing of the four dams is up for renewal. One federal agency has mandated that costly new fish ladders be built, a condition that could doom the existing dams. Congress could also work on the other essentials needed to revive the Klamath River. Timber cut policies, development, and water diversions needed by Oregon farmers. The White House has done its part to wreck the Klamath. Now it's up to Congress to move beyond this sad fact and begin the hard job of reviving a seriously stressed river. Well, as I said at the start of the show, this is the driest year in history in Los Angeles and Southern California. And of course, local water districts in the South State are issuing uh, drought warnings. Orange County and the rest of Southern California have been asked to conserve an additional 7 billion gallons of water this year to help the region get through the drought that may very well last into the next year. Metropolitan Water District of Southern California is expected to pass a $6 million package of incentives and will offer to help pay from everything for, uh, from synthetic turf to low-flow urinals to more efficient sprinklers. Now, we want to remember the big numbers here. About 80% of the water, domestically used water in Southern California, is going for landscaping. Uh, and so the actual water that you need to take showers, cook your food, wash your hands, brush your teeth, is only about one-fifth of the water that's used in urban consumption in California. Most of it goes to water Bermuda grass lawns, fill swimming pools, 
and uh, irrigate all that expensive tropical landscape. Uh, and Metropolitan Water District is warning that even more tougher measures may follow. Uh, Metropolitan Water District is strapped for water now due to problems with its two primary supplies. The Colorado River Basin is in its eighth year of severe drought, and pumping from the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta has been interrupted over the last two months to protect the Delta smelt, as I've talked about in previous, show, previous shows. The U.S. Bureau of Reclamation, one of the two major exporters of water, from uh, the Delta is back to full pumping as usual, uh, claiming that there's no longer any danger to the Delta smelt, a small fish which is a critical part of the food chain. And the California Department of Water Sur uh, Resources has been uh, ceasing pumping during the night to give the fish a break. And of course those big pumps and the delta are so powerful that they suck these small fish in and grind them up. And uh, many species of fish in the delta are suffering. And of course, what's critical for humans is more than 20 million people get their drinking water supplies from out of the delta, uh, at least part of their drinking water supplies. So there's no question that the delta is a critical component of any kind of statewide water delivery system. So... As we head into the long, hot summer of 2007 with population predictions of another 23 million people coming to California or being born here in the next 40 years, any thinking person has to ask, where is all the water going to come from? This is KFCF 88.1 FM. You're listening to Lloyd Carter down in the valley. I air on the second Friday of each month at 3.30. Thanks for tuning in.